know that we hear a lot about it, and we can hear, well, unity means getting along with each other, and, you know, blah, 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 and we, you know, we can hear so many sort of things. And I, I think that sometimes we can hear it to the point where it numbs or dulls our hearing about the significance of unity. Um, I believe that this Lord, you know, I believe, I believe that the Lord is wanting to speak something to us today, and, and, and as we move forward, um, kind of that Selah moment. You remember Selah in, in the Psalms where you're reading or reading, you see Selah? Anybody wonder what that means? It means, it means stop and really ponder what's being said. In other words, don't just, don't just blow by it. Really, really focus on what is being said. Some of us understand that you have a Selah moment with your mom or dad. You better listen to me. And you know, sometimes when they go, yeah, whatever, uh, you don't do that in those Selah moments. Um, in the Old Testament, they talked about, um, you know, Deuteronomy, it talks about, you know, uh, you know the, the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, is just bindings on your forehead, really uh, instill them into your children and your children's children. These are Selah moments. Really understand the significance and the power of what's being said. Don't, don't, just, don't just get dull of hearing. It's easy for us. And I'm not mistaking to anyone. It's easy for us to hear the things of the gospel. We maybe hear things over and over. Maybe read things that we've read a bunch of times, but it's so easy for us to get dull hearing that. I believe the Lord wants to speak to us in a new way and the significance. And I believe that the Lord is speaking unity, unity like never before. As as Athena was praying for the church. I'm going to share a little bit. I'm going to butcher it. This is, this is her part, and she shared with our leaders yesterday. But uh, as she was praying, and she, she, she got this, this the word, the word that the Lord gave her was openings. That there's going to be some tremendous openings to advance the gospel. Openings to the point where more people are, are going to come in to find Christ. And the, the story that the Lord gave her was from Luke 5. When, remember when, when the disciples, they're, they're all fishing and they have caught no fish. And, and we will show you this passage in a moment. And, you know, and Jesus says, cast the nets and they, on the other side of the boat. And they bring in this massive cast of fish. But that was the story that the Lord gave Athena. And this is before she knew what I was going to be, like the, the, the thing of unity had been stirring in my heart. She did not know this. And that, that and, and the significance of that story was that this miraculous catch of fish comes in, and Jesus in turn makes a very spiritual statement. He tells us that you're going to now be fishing for people. And you're going to you're going to need each other, and, and it's interesting because their, their, their boats begin to sink, and they needed their friends to come over and to work together to bring in this capture fit. It's a picture of unity. And it was this opening, and she said, I feel like the Lord is going to give us a bunch of openings where more people, she said, we might be surprised how many people start coming to find Christ, and that we store up our nets and get ready. Store up the nets is to strengthen our nets and be ready to mend the nets. To be ready for what God wants to do, to reach people, to disciple people. And biblical unity is, again, it's not just getting along. It's, it's radical unity. And I'm going to show you in Scripture in a moment. And there's a lot of, again, maybe things that you've heard, maybe things that you haven't heard, but you're going to see the significance of radical unity. But first of all, let's look at this passage um, that I was just talking about. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore, Luke 5, the sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed into him, 
to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus was standing there, told him to push down into the water. So he sat in the boat and he talked the clouds to him. So he's declaring the word of the Lord. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper. There's something very significant about that. Go out where it's deeper. Isn't it, isn't it a little more secure to stay in shallow water? Out there where it's deeper, it's a little more unpredictable. It's, it's a little harder. It's a little, uh, it feels a little scary, maybe. And Jesus is saying, I'm taking you out into deeper water. Let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, that's another good word. When Jesus says so, we need to be obedient to what he's asking us to do. But if you say so, and I think he's challenging, you know, maybe thinking, um, who does this non-fisherman think he is to tell me what to do about fishing? It's like somebody giving you advice and they don't know what they're talking about. But Jesus did. If you say so, we'll go, we'll, 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 we'll do it again. But if you say so, I'll let the nest down again. And this time their nest was so full of fish, they began to tear. It's a massive catch. A shout for help. Here's the picture of unity. Brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish, and the birds were sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Lord, please leave me. He's a sinful man. He probably, because of his doubts. We've been fishing all night, and you know what? When Jesus shows up and when Jesus begins to touch people, we may be surprised because it's his work, right? It is His work. When people start coming in, it is the work of Christ. For He was awestruck by the number of fish they caught, as were the others with Him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid from now on, what? You'll be 50 people. This was a picture that Jesus was giving them. And He was using their trade and them being fishermen, showing them a very spiritual story that they're going to be fishing for people. People are going to come in. People are going to want to know. Obviously, for them personally, I imagine that this is something that they were thinking of. This story was probably something they were thinking of in Acts. Remember when multitudes of people are gathered in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit comes and like 3,000 people in one day accept Christ and accept the gospel. If you're, not, if you're wondering, that's a lot. 3,000 people, bam, today. And, and, and they're thinking, man, this is, this, is the, this is the fishing for people. The boats are full. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. They left everything and they followed Jesus. We're all in. We understand what you're doing and we understand what you're up to. But here's the picture. The picture is unity. The picture is that they had to work together. One boat would have sunk. We must be working together for what God wants to do and the people He wants to bring, people that He loves that are out there right now and they don't know who Jesus is. Or maybe they've known Him at times past and they have struggled and they're hurting, but there is a lot of people in our region that so desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. We're not here for ourselves. We are here to be on mission with Jesus. And He wants to bring people in and He wants us to be a part of it. The picture of unity. It's interesting in John 21, after Jesus rose from the dead, remember, he was on the beach and he recreates this thing, and the, the disciples are depressed and sad, so they go fishing. 
And so Jesus was planned to be caught anything and the cats missed on the other side and they, they, they brought in a huge amount of fish again and then they realized, oh, this is Jesus. And so remember Peter jumps in the water and sends out him to the In John 21, it says they were surprised that the nets didn't break. They had, they had seen him tear before and now it was, they were a picture of unity and when we're working together, the nets won't break because we're doing it in the name of Jesus. We need each other. We're more effective together than we are apart. Biblical unity, guys, we, we were made to belong to each other. We were made to belong to each other, and I think you see that throughout the Scripture. And so I love it when God is speaking something, confirming it. Obviously, that what I just told you with Athena, but um, the, the other cool thing to me as a pastor, you know, when, when you're when you're praying, and I'm asking the Lord, what are you speaking? What are you saying? You know, um, you're really hoping that you're hearing from God. I mean, you really need, you really, you know, it's, it's easier to stand up here confidently knowing, man, I really feel strongly about what the Lord is speaking. And so as I was preparing all this and thinking about this praying, I was. I was reading the book Doctrine, and I know that sounds riveting. Um, it's, a, it's a good book about doc, the doctrine of the church, um, uh, about you know the things that we should have in common. Um, it's the stuff where, where you know the, the author deals with open-handed things and closed-handed things. And so the closed-handed things is this is not up for negotiation. Jesus is the way to salvation. That's a closed-handed thing. We're not going to but we have to let go of the things like. Uh, Exactly the timing of uh, when the Lord's going to return. That's more of an open-handed thing, and believers have kind of all kinds of different ideas. But so the doctrine thing is: these are the closed-handed things. These are these are the things that we have to live by. And one chapter in there is all about the church. And he writes about how the you know the church in the New Testament um, you know functions. Then he got into a, a, a part in there, and I was reading it, and I was thinking about unity, and he is, and he's writing about the need for unity to be in the church, the health of the church is in its unity. And so he's talking about doctrinal unity, what we believe. We need to have doctrinal unity, missional unity, our mission and vision. This is, we're going the same direction. This is our mission. We have to have missional unity, relational unity. That's kind of the obvious one, that we are relational unity, that we're not stabbing each other and we're not in, in, in discord with one another, but it's a philosophical unity, how you do what you do, and then organizational unity. And he's pulling this picture of the health of the church and he's talking all about unity. So I, I read this. Barry had gone to this discipleship conference in the fall, so you guys might have known that, maybe not, but he comes back and we're, Barry and I are sitting with him. And there was a lot of things that stood out to him in this uh, conference, but one of the things he said, one of the guys scared was talking about unity. And he starts, and I just read this the day before, and he says, this guy's talking about the health of the church, and it's an organizational unity, mental unity. I, I was getting excited. And he's listening to the same things. Now, that may not excite you that much, but when you're praying and you're asking the Lord, and he had no earthly idea that I had been reading this, and I'm like, this God is speaking something here. And this is where we have to tune in our, our spiritual hearing to say God is safe and it's more than just coincidence that, that God is speaking unity. So why is it so important? I, and it, this is definitively one of the things that, that I think threads throughout Scripture. Unity is powerful. Ultimately, it's modeled by the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
They are interconnected. They are three distinct entities, yet they are one. You know, none of us will be able to completely explain Trinity, right? Three and one, one and three. But it's there, and you see perfect unity. Even when Christ was on the earth, he says, I don't speak anything unless the Father speaks to me. There's unity. And when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything on his own behalf. He testifies that he speaks what he hears. And you see them in unity. And so they model it. And then throughout Scripture, some of the battles that Israel faced when they fought, the, 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 the battle, the, the success of the, a lot of the battles came down to the one idea of unity. Remember the battle of Jericho. They come into the, the promised land. It's the most intimidating city. And God has the, the, the most odd battle plan ever. Don't let the sword march around completely in silence. And they're thinking, we're all going to die. But there's a, okay, God, you've, you've spoken, we're going to do it, but you see a picture of unity. And remember, they did it you know, one time at the camp, second day, third day, fourth day, seventh day, they go around seven times. It's completely you know, crazy. And God brought the walls down because of their unity. And I think that you can tie unity to the success of that battle. But unity, if unity is of the utmost importance, disunity could be equally rejected. So I want to look at the dangers of disunity in Scripture. And again, this is why we need, we need to have the idea of why unity is so important. These are just three passages, guys, and there's many, many more. But in Proverbs 6, you know, there's strong language here. I mean, we, we teach our kids not to say hate, right? But Proverbs says, God hates or he detests. What? And he lists, there's a sixteen God hates, seventeen he detests, and he lists one shedding of innocent blood. And, but this is the, the one who sows discord in a family. The one who sows discord in a family. As a church, we're a big dysfunctional family, amen? We put the funk in dysfunction, right? Because we all have our own issues. This happens in our natural things, husband and wife, and, and with our kids. We're not always going to get along and, and agree on things, and we have to work through things. The church is no different. But he said, God hates us. He's so discord. Interestingly enough, the word there is a musical term, discord. For you musically inclined people, you, you understand when you're listening to good music. Or if you're, you know, if you, if you like to feel like an orchestra, and um, you can always hear when there's discord if you have a good musical ear. Sometimes you don't even need a musical ear, but if somebody's off tune, you catch it. But even worse is if somebody's playing a different song. Right? They might, the orchestra going, we're all playing this song, and if somebody goes, you know what, I'm just going to play, and it can be, they can be right on, even right on tune, but if they're playing a different song, it's going to sound chaotic, right? That's the, that's the discord, it's, it's a musical, it's that somebody's playing their own tune. And it's disunity, it's, 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 it doesn't work, and God hates that because it, it, it's, it's confusing. When somebody is doing this and everybody else is doing that, it's very confusing to the listener. Galatians 5, the best word to the New Testament, 
Paul says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. What happens with this unity? What happens is you ultimately you begin to destroy each other. Then in James, James says this, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged for look at judges standing at the door. And that's just the most, if this is an invoke the fear of the Lord, I don't know what will. But he says disunity actually will invoke God's judgment on your life. This is where we really need to stay a moment and say, stop and think about what that means. Have I promoted disunity? Have I sowed discord? Have I gossiped about somebody or in the form of a prayer request shared a little too much information or complained about something when I don't go to the source? And it can happen. It's very subtle. We don't have to guard our hearts. I've been guilty of it. And so when we think of the power of unity, we must think of the dangers of disunity. Because the enemy understands the power of unity, and that's why he will fight against us. And he tries to drive a wedge. He tries to, to bring disunity into our midst. That's how church splits happen. Most of the time, church splits are, are something that happens in the game of silliest things. And then when people look from the outside and they just say, I, well, I, I don't want to be part of that. Um, there was one church, and this was tragically funny. It was written, um, I don't know if you, you guys remember Chuck Colson? Anybody remember Chuck Colson? And it's with the Lord now, but he wrote a book called The Body. If you ever want a good book about the church, some compelling story, that's a great book. I, I, I would encourage anyone to read that. It's one, it's one of the most compelling books I've ever read about the church. Um, but in there, he shares this tragically funny story. Um, it's funny just in kind of the, 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 the scene in what you see, but and there's a sense that you're just heartbroken over this. But there was this church that was called this pastor. This pastor had been in the Navy. Um, and, and, uh, and, and as he came there, there were some battles. There were people, you know, that half, uh, half of his leadership team liked him, the other half didn't. You've got a whole other set of dynamics of the leadership team where they don't like each other. And, um, and so he's inherited quite a mess here. And so the, the half that don't like him, they call a secret meeting. It's not a good thing, it's not healthy. They call a secret meeting to talk about what they want to do with him how to get rid of them. And so, Chuck Holt is sharing this story, and so um, the morning that they're going to make this announcement, they're going to call a special meeting on getting rid of them. And they've not talked to anybody else or the other parts of the team. And and, uh, and so right after the right after the worship music, the one guy who's kind of the leader of it, he's going to come and grab the mic from the person that's leading music, and he's going to make this announcement. Well, he makes a beeline, and the pastor sees what he's doing. He said, no, I'm not going to let that happen. So they meet right around here. And the mic becomes almost like this tug of war. And they're, they start doing this. He's not going to do that. It does not, it's not the right thing. Um, it turns into a fist fight on stage. Then it turns into like a barroom brawl where other people... And there are about 10 people involved in a melee in the church. People are arrested. And they are sitting around at the courthouse today that the judge wants to bring them in. This lawyer walks in. This lawyer is Jewish. 
he walked in and he and he's just looking around the room and he recognized them and he says, I know who you guys are. Um, we play church softball against you. This is with the Jewish tabernacle and the NB church playing softball. And he says this, he says, you know what, I'd ask the judge we're going to dismiss all charges. He said, but as a person of faith, as a Jew, obviously I believe what you believe. He said, I would take a very long, serious look at what you believe and why you believe it. Because the testimony and all the paper and everything that he said about what this has done to Christianity is put down. And he just walks out. And he said, and uh, so these people get in their car and they have a little bumper sticker that says, you know, Emmanuel Christian Center, where God is with us, not to the truth. And again, you're reading this and you're giggling at some of it, and you're like, I'm just going to weep at other parts of it. Now, obviously, but this didn't just happen. There's this was this was discord that happened over a period of time. This is obviously a very extreme story, but there are dire warnings in Scripture on this year and what it does. I want to look at our kind of a key passage today, Ephesians 4. Here's what Paul says about unity. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, listen to what he says. This is in the language he says, you know, when you're saying, I beg you, you know, when you're really, really wanting to get a point across, I beg you to listen to this. I beg you to go out hold of the people. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. And, you know, you can stop right there and say, well, God, yeah, I want to lead a life worthy of our calling. Listen to what he ties a life worthy of our calling to. You've, always, you've, you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. That's one of those fail-on moments. Put that up on your fridge. Make allowance for each other's faults because the people you live with, you're going to have to do that with them too. And he says, make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Because of your love. And then what does he say? Make every effort. Not a few efforts, not some efforts. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. Make every effort. I beg you. The, the life worthy of the calling, I beg you to get along with each other and be unified in the Spirit. And so all through the New Testament, Paul hits on this theme in all of his letters. You can find it in every single letter. And he unveils the importance of unity. And so he's saying unity is not just a good idea or it's, it's not even, it, 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 it's, it's not an option. It's not like, well, you can or you don't. If you belong to Christ, you need to walk in unity because of the implications that are at stake. If we aren't walking in unity, we're, we're, I think there's an argument to say we're, we're not really walking with Jesus. And I know that's wrong, but that's, I think that's true. And so the enemy will fight unity over and over. We have to be aware of his ways and what he's doing, aware of those subtle things. But he will do it as believers. He will work his way into husband and wives and families and try to get us to turn on each other and fight against each other. So let's look briefly, and I'm going to go through these rather quickly, but the implications of unity and why it's so important. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. You guys are a lot, most of you are familiar with this, but Paul describes us as followers of Jesus as the body. He's the head, Jesus is the head. 
He's the brain center and all this, but we're his body. And Paul's just giving that, that picture of saying that the church is like a body. We're connected, right? Every part has a function. And it is intended to be in unity. It's everyone's essential, but we, we are successful as we work, all, work together and get along. And so church health is directly tied with unity. Rogue cells that do their own thing, those are cancers. And, 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 and basically what a cancer is, is these rogue cells that just begin to take over. You see a tumor growing, it's just saying, we're going to do our own thing, we're self-serving. Like cancerous cells are self-serving. It's, that that reach and there's something powerful about that. But this unity is cancer. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to play our own tune. We're going to, we're going to do our own thing. Romans 14, Paul says, let us aim. In other words, let us keep our unity and harmony in the church and try to build each other up. This would be constant. Unity equals a stronger church. 2 Corinthians 13, finally, brothers and sisters, Farewell, and he's kind of, this is one of the things he's leaving with them, uh, um, the last letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. Become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And so unity is directly tied with peace. Philippians 2.2, 2, fill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Romans 15. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, so unity brings glory to God. And if those weren't strong enough, listen to what Jesus says. Take a look at these, and the implications even get greater. And it, in, in, in John 13, Jesus says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And so... That's the measure. Is are you loving each other like Jesus loves you? It's a heavy word. And then verse thirty-five: Your love for one another will what? Will prove to the world you're my disciples. It is strong. Your love for each other will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Now that. How much, how, how how slick your arguments are, not how maybe you can you can um, you know give them a bunch of scripture, which is wonderful that we can get scriptures. But if we're, if we're not loving each other in the house, we're not going to prove anything to the world. Then John seventeen, this high priest the prayer of Jesus, he said, "Okay, not only for these disciples, because he was, he had his main guides there, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message." So who's he praying for? Us. Everyone. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. So he's saying that we would be unified like Jesus and the Father are unified. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sit me. The implications of the gospel are at stake here with our unity. So if you're not unified, if you're in disunity, the world won't know. They, they won't see it. That's why when they come here and, and, and we're strengthening our nets and mending our nets, that's our relationship and our love for one another. That is the unity so that God trusts us to bring people in our midst that we can love. And again, this is not that we agree on every point, but they see us loving each other and forgiving each other. It's the proof that we're disciples so that the world will know the gospel 
is at stake here. And then in Acts 2, we, we know the story of, of the beginning of Acts 2 is the, the, the beginning of the church, the Holy Spirit comes. But at the end of Acts 2, we're given these, these few verses where it says that they were given to the apostles' teachings, the Word of God, they were bred, they, they, were, they had all things in common, they died together, they shared everything. This is a picture of radical unity. Acts 2, verse 7, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, here's, here's the implication. The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved every day. So they were seeing a growth. But this were coming in. You see it? Because of their unity, God was bringing in people, bringing in the fish. And it was the picture that Jesus gave his disciples as they were 15, and it was this record cat. Unity proves that we're followers of Jesus that reveals that God sent Jesus. Our unity reveals the gospel. And so biblical unity, let's look at this. We'll go through these quickly. Biblical unity loves at all times. It's that word in the Old Testament. It's the word love. Ahava means I'm not going anywhere. So I tell my wife that regularly, you can't get rid of me. I'm not going anywhere. You can't get rid of me. That's the biblical love. That's, in the New Testament, it is uh, it was agape. Kind of similar to that is self-sacrifice. I'm laying my life down for you. But it's it's loves at all times. Biblical unity loves at all times. Biblical unity pursues relationship. We don't lay back, but we pursue relationship. When God is bringing people in, I encourage you to go after people. Pursue the relationship. The number one reason why people stay in churches now is they've made a meaningful relational connection. And that's changed through the years. Biblical unity honors each other, that we, that we have a culture of honor. We have a culture of honor to lift each other up. Biblical unity takes the initiative that you don't just wait, you do it, and you see it needs to be done, I'm going to do it. It takes the initiative because you... You're in unity with one another. Biblical unity has a great attitude. Paul says that in Philippians. You have the same attitude as Christ. Jesus had a great attitude, right? Biblical unity has a great attitude. Maintain a great attitude. Uh, Biblical unity seeks reconciliation. Is there a relationship that you need to make right? Is there unforgiveness? Is there something broken? God wants us as far as it's concerned with you, you need to make it, you need to take initiative, and you need to pursue reconciliation. Whether they want it or not. Biblical unity lovingly confronts, so it's not always that we never lovingly confront people. You see, uh, Paul confronted Peter. Jesus confronted his disciples in love, and in lovingly confronts. Sometimes we have to do that. But when we're in unity and we love each other, it's not just tearing a person down, but saying, I, I, I lovingly bring this to your attention because, because I care about you. And with that said, here's the next one. Biblical unity rejects offense, being offended. We live in a culture that looks to be offended. And if you want a reason to be offended, you're going to find it. Right? We live in a culture that, 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 that just gets so easily offended. And then what do we do? We're, we live also in a culture that easily tears away. You offended me, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm going the other way. I, I don't want any part of you. I'm gone. We have to fight through that. 
You see in the Bible, people that had to work through the These were just regular people like us. That's why Paul says you have to make allowance for each other's faults. You have to give people room. You have to love them with confront, reject offense, biblically unity, forgive quickly. If somebody hurts your feelings because they're going to, forgive them quickly. Forgive quickly. Biblical unity repents quickly. Powerful words. I'm sorry. I was wrong. It's very powerful. It repents quickly. Biblical unity has the attitude of Jesus. This is true humility, laying down your life for one another. Biblical unity sees the positive more than the negative. There's going to be negative things that we don't like about each other. Quirks, things. I mean, we, we've got You're married to somebody. If you're married here today, you're married to somebody that has some quirks. Things that you don't like. I know. I mean, I understand you go into that wedding day and you go, we're going to go on forever and then we'll never have any disagreements. We're going to be different. I know everyone else, but we're going to be the exception and inside. I'm laughing crazy. Because God didn't set it up that way. Two broken human beings coming together. Then he says, all right, you're going to be these broken human beings you guys are going to love, and then we're going to throw a bunch of mini youths in the midst of it. Good luck. Why did he do it? Because we need him. He wants us to be desperate for God. Please help us. God, we need you in our marriage. We have to have you. And he's like, this is, the, this is why I set it up the way I did. You're going to need me. God, these kids. And the kids are like, God, my parents. God's like, man, they're getting it now. They're crying out to me. Listen, listen to this fragrant offering right now. God, my boss, my co-workers, my friends. It's biblical. But we, we see the positive more than the negative. We can all that stuff out. And then lastly, from the warnings of Scripture, biblical unity doesn't gossip, slander, or devour one another. Even complaining like James says, even this little... You know, well, I didn't really bash them, but it, it, it can be. And, and I've been guilty. I, I, I've had to catch myself with the words of that, that. That was not right. That, that's not the right source when you're talking to somebody new. And it's a little complaint. It's like, it's like when we justify a little white lie. You know, as if God says, you know, on Judgment Day, your lies being a little white lies. It's, it's just funny. There's a whole group of people in here that do that. It's funny. Um, don't justify it. Let the Holy Spirit call it what it is in us, because I, I've been there, where it's a little complaint, and you're not going to the source, you're not going to the person. Jesus said in Matthew, says if you have ought with one another, that word there, is, is, if there's a, even if it's a small bit, if there's an issue there, it needs to be, you go to that person and, and you work that out with them. Don't, don't get over fear because, again, you tell this person and it gets to be like that gossip game and it's this person, that person. The next thing you know, it's a cancerous issue. And that's what offended people can kind of do. It becomes a, a cancerous thing that has grown. And I've, I've, I've seen this before where, um, where there was something in between me and another person and we worked it all out and it was beautiful and, and there was forgiveness and we you know, cleared up misunderstandings and we, it was just an awesome thing. And there will be people that knew about it. They're still offended. We've got it worked out. They're offended for them. 
And, there, you know, and, and see how it can spread if you're not doing this the right way. And so, guard, this is biblical, it's a picture of biblical unity. We have to fight for it. And the question is, am I operating in a unified spirit? Am I dividing by what I do, by how I live, by what I say? Following the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And so, guys, the implications of unity are huge, and I believe that's why the Lord is speaking us not only this year, but in the years to come that we are fighting for unity because here's the thing that God wants to bring in the practice that that are out there. And He wants us to strengthen our nets and work together and get our boats ready and get our nets ready because then He trusts us and He the work of Christ and then people come in. We can show them Christ even when we disagree that we love each other. We care about each other. Because they're going to know that we're Christians by love. They're going to know we're disciples by how we love each other. And so let's be a part of what he's doing. This is, a, I think, a radical invitation by the Lord for unity like never before. So let me pray for us and then I'm going to talk briefly about the vision funds for the year and uh, then I'll let you go. Know, thank you for what you're speaking over our hearts today to this church. Lord, I believe that God, more than ever, you are calling us to be unified in the Spirit. That, Lord, as Paul wrote, that we would make every effort, every effort to be unified in the Spirit. And, Lord, where we have struggled, and I know, Lord, that there's times I've struggled, that where we have struggled not to walk in unity, Lord, that we would allow you to do your work, that we would God, see our need of you to forgive, to repent, Lord, to walk in peace with each other, to seek reconciliation, God, to honor each other, to take initiative, or to see a positive, or to, to reject complaining and gossiping. The Lord, that you would give us power to do that. Lord, I believe that you want to look at our church and say, that's a people I trust, and I'm going to bring more in for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.